0: Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you. Thank you guys for being here uh, for worship with us. Um, If you're new to the Vista, today we are in the second week of our Advent series. Uh, We're going to be in the small little Old Testament book of Habakkuk. All right? Um, And you can begin to turn there. Habakkuk, it can can take a little while to find Habakkuk. You know, uh, my Bible, it's page 785. So I don't know what version you're in, but maybe it's around there. Uh, While you're finding that little Old Testament book, uh, I wanted to just remind you, or kind of let you know about some things coming up, uh, really, really soon. And so, first of all, we're having four uh, Christmas Eve services this year. We're going to do one on Christmas Eve Eve, so on Friday the twenty-third. We're going to do one service at six p.m. and then on Christmas Eve on the twenty-fourth, we're going to do three services. Uh, we'll have one at three o'clock, one at four thirty, and then one at six. And so. We think with four services, there is plenty of room. We'd encourage you to bring uh, neighbors, friends, family members that may be in town for the holidays. We'd love to have them at our Christmas Eve service, so pick one of those out and join us. Uh, we will have child care for infants through pre-K, and then for the older kids and the students, uh, we'd invite you to just to bring them into, into worship with you. It'll be a, a really great time together. And so hope you can join us for Christmas Eve. Then, uh, because of the way the calendar falls, there is a Sunday uh, right after Christmas, right? And so we're going to do one service on the Sunday following Christmas, one service at uh, 1030. And... um, Again, it's going to be pretty stripped down, pretty simple, but for those of you that are in town and you'd like to to be here, we would love to have you join us on Sunday uh, right after Christmas for that service. And then on the 2nd, on January the 2nd, we're going to have our normal services and our normal service times. Um, It's going to be an elder led service. And so that's going to be a Sunday where you're going to get to hear from some of our elders um, just on uh, kind of looking back over this past year and some things they're excited about looking forward into the next year and the next season that God has for us. And so. Just wanted to give you a bit of a heads up. Christmas Eve, the Sunday following Christmas, and then um, and then January the second, as far as where we're where we're going, and then Austin and I will launch a new series that second week that second week of January. Okay, Habakkuk chapter two. Um, Again, second week of Advent, Advent is this season, it means coming or arrival, where we remember uh, God's first coming into human history uh, through the celebration of of Christmas, and then we wait with this anticipation and longing for the second coming of Jesus, uh, this event that hasn't happened yet. And so we're walking through this year, uh, this little bitty Old Testament book of Habakkuk. It can be a little bit confusing, it's a really short book, you can read it in like 10 minutes if you want. Uh, Austin did a fantastic job last week of sort of launching us into it and explaining the situation, explaining what's going on in Habakkuk. Specifically, Habakkuk, um, he comes to God and, and he's got some questions for God. He's angry and he's frustrated if you can't pick up on the tone, right? It's pretty obvious, but, you know, some books of the Bible, they kind of ease into the, the hearts or the lesson or the message or the story. You know, uh, the Apostle Paul writes these letters in the New Testament, and they start off with, you know, I love all you guys, and, 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 and I'm praying for you all the time, and, and I'm in prison, so you could pray for me. That'd be great. And it's like this kind of easing into it, and then he, then he gets into what, you know, he wants to talk about. Habakkuk, there is no introduction, right? Habakkuk, in the first four verses, you get violence, iniquity, destruction. Like, he just launches in. He's angry. He's frustrated. He's got some doubts and questions. Austin talked about that last week, right? And so he just launches in, and he's got these complaints. Specifically, uh, we're going to look at chapter 2 today, and chapter 2 deals with God's response to Habakkuk's second complaint. So Austin mentioned it last week. His second complaint is, okay, God, you're going to judge Israel. Israel hasn't been completely faithful, and so you're going to judge Israel. But his complaint is, you're going to use the Chaldeans to do that? Like, I know we haven't been faithful, but the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, like, they're the worst. They are way worse than us. So you're going to let them plunder, and you're going to let them get rich, and you're going to let them rule and lead, and they're worse than we are. You know, isn't that kind of classic human nature? You know, when, when you're convicted of sin or some sin is pointed out in your life, isn't like classic human nature to start looking at someone, finding someone worse than you, <laughs> right? Like, I know I did that, but look at them. Like, they're really bad. God, I'm not that bad. I may be bad, but I'm not that bad. That's, what, that's like what we do. We, we tend to find someone that's worse than us, and then by comparison, we're not that bad. Well, Habakkuk does this not personally, but as, as a nation, he's looking at the whole situation and going, okay, God, we haven't been completely faithful, but really, the Chaldeans, they are literally the worst they're the worst. And so Habakkuk 2, again, is God's response to Habakkuk, God's response. And what I want to do, uh, a lot of chapter 2 is specifically God saying, Habakkuk, don't you worry, I'm going to judge the Chaldeans as well. Like, they're going to get theirs, okay? And, and what he does is he kind of unpacks specifically some um, indictments of judgment against them, and he makes sure Habakkuk knows that he sees what they're doing. Like, God's not blind and oblivious to the injustice uh, of other people. And and so he wants to make sure Habakkuk understands that. And so a lot of chapter 2 is God pronouncing these, um, they're they're laid out in a series of five woes, which is, again, basically an indictment of judgment against them. I'll just look at them really quickly with you, uh, and then I want to spend most of our time looking at the first four verses, okay? But in verse 6, God says this to Habakkuk. He says, shall not all these take up their taunts against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, here's the first woe, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. And so the first woe is that the Chaldeans, these people, God's going, I see them that they take that which is not theirs. They steal, they rob. I see it. I get it. That's the first indictment against them. Then down in verse nine, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to to be safe from reach of harm. So he's saying, look, I see that they come in and they steal property. They again take uh, those things that are not theirs. They they use materials that belong to others to build these elaborate houses. And I I see that. I'm aware of that. And and again, they're going to be judged for that. Down in verse 12, the next one, he says, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. He says, look, I, I see that they're murderers. That they kill people who don't go along with their plan. I see that they use slave labor to build their towns and their buildings and their houses. God's saying, they're going to be judged for that, Habakkuk. Verse 15, the next one, woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and you make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. And so again, this is drunken debauchery. He's like, I see it. I notice it. They, they do this even to their enemies to take advantage of them. God's saying, I get it, Habakkuk. I see what they're doing. I see the character of their heart. And then the final one is in chapter, I mean, verse 19, when he says, Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, Arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. The final one's pretty obvious. It's idolatry. God's saying, I see their idolatry, Habakkuk. He's basically wanting Habakkuk to know that they're not getting away with anything. That yes, he's going to use them to judge Israel, but listen, they're going to get the destruction that's coming their way as well. Because Habakkuk's doing the comparison thing. What about them? What about them? What about them? reminds me of when I was growing up, I have a brother and a sister, and when I would get in trouble, you know what I would do? What about him? (laughs) Right? Isn't that not, that's what Habakkuk's doing, and God's going, don't you worry about him. It's coming. And history tells us that it does in 539 B.C. The Medo-Persian Empire conquers the Babylonian Empire. And everything God promised indeed happens. Okay? So that's kind of the bulk of chapter 2. But I want to go back to the first four verses. Because what we find, again, is that Habakkuk is frustrated and he's angry. He's frustrated and he's angry. Anybody in here ever been frustrated and angry? Oh, good. So it's not just me, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a normal human emotion, is it not? It's a normal human emotion. I don't know what kind of church background you grew up in. I don't know what kind of you've been taught or told about uh, frustration and anger. I mean, I know I've talked to some of you, and in my own world, you know, there's this idea that if you're just a, a good enough Christian, right, like if you're just like varsity level Christian, then you shouldn't really struggle with frustration and anger. Like you should live this meek and mild uh, sort of passive life, and you really shouldn't let things bother you too much. But I've always kind of pushed back against that and gone, wait a minute, Um, does does God get angry and frustrated? Have you ever read the Old Testament? Like there's a lot of that in there, right? God gets angry and frustrated. It's a righteous anger. It's a righteous sort of indignation. What about Jesus? New Testament. Did Jesus ever get angry and frustrated? Yeah, like there was a few times where he got so mad he's turning tables over in the temple and using a whip to drive people out. I'd say Jesus got a little angry and frustrated at times, right? These are just sort of normal responses to some some injustice that's going on. In fact, the way I said it in the first service is this. As God's people, as the church, one thing we talk about, one thing we long for and sort of wait with growing anticipation is the coming of the kingdom of God, right? We talk about this idea of the kingdom of God. The culture that is heaven, the culture that is the kingdom of God, where, where love And justice and mercy and grace, man, these things are the reality of life. Man, we long for that. We hope for that. We want that. And part of the role of the church is to help bring some of that to a dark and broken world. And so follow me on this. Like, if if that's our hope and that's our longing for the coming kingdom of God, and God's given us a role to help usher that in and bring that here, then the culture of this world is going to frustrate us from time to time, is it not? I mean, if we long for the culture of God's kingdom and the culture of this world where sin and oppression and injustice and idolatry and all of these things are a reality, then yeah, it's inevitable that we're going to be frustrated. It's inevitable that we're going to be angry from time to time. And so Austin said well last week that when you have doubts and questions, like, that's part of being human. God's not going to punish you for being human. In the same way, anger and frustration is part of being human. God's not going to punish you. God's not angry or upset at you because you have some anger and some frustration. And so Habakkuk takes his anger and frustration and he approaches God with it. And I want to read um, Habakkuk 2, verses 1 through 4. Here's what he says. First of all, this is Habakkuk in verse 1. I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower. And I'll look out to see what he, God, will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk's like, here's my junk, here's my stuff, here's my complaint. Now I'm just gonna sit and wait for God to respond. Verse two, God responds. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on the tablet so that he may run who reads it. God's saying, write this down, Habakkuk, so that people down the road will be able to see that I fulfilled my promise. You write this down. Verse 2, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come and it will not delay. Then he describes the character of the the ungodly. He says, behold, his soul, the ungodly, is puffed up. It's not upright within him. And then the last line of verse 4, but the righteous shall live by his faith. This is kind of the big idea of Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by faith. It seems like God's appearing to answer Habakkuk. In his anger and his frustration, God appears to answer by calling Habakkuk to a deeper faith. Did you catch that? He appears to answer Habakkuk by calling him to a deeper, a more real faith. I want to talk a little bit about this idea of faith. Again, I believe this is the big message of of the book of Habakkuk that the righteous that God's people are people that live by faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, the writer of Hebrews gives us a kind of a working definition of what faith really is. In Hebrews 11, 1, the writer says, "Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen." Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. When it comes to faith as believers, um, there's sort of different categories, if you will, of things we believe by faith, all right? One of those is some things that have happened that nobody was around to see, all right? Um, We take them by faith. Nobody was there. There's no eyewitnesses. We just believe them by faith, like creation is a good example. You and I were not there at creation, right? God didn't take a vote. What do you think I should create? What do you think it should look like? No, God just created out of his, his beauty and his ingenuity. God is the creator of all things. And we believe that based on faith, even though nobody was there. And we would have no idea how that played out unless God told someone to write it down in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. We believe that God is the creator of all things. And we place our faith in that belief, even though nobody was there to see it. The second category is that we believe some things based on the eyewitness of other people. We believe some things based on eyewitness testimony of other people that wrote the things down. That's what history is to a large degree. That's what all of history is. Like, I never met George Washington, but I believe he existed, right? Like, I didn't watch him cross the Delaware. I didn't watch him lead the American Revolution. I didn't watch him be sworn in as the first president of the United States. But some other people did, and they wrote it down. And so I believe, based on their eyewitness testimony, that George Washington was real, and that the things written about him in history are real. The same thing plays out with Jesus. Like, people wrote it down. People watched the, the life and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and they wrote about it. People watched him heal people. And it was confirmed by even a medical doctor named Luke who wrote one of the Gospels. He could affirm, this guy really healed people. It was amazing. People, numerous people wrote about the fact that he really died on a Roman cross, He was really dead. He wasn't kind of halfway dead, partly dead, kind of dead, unconscious. He really, really, really died. He was completely and totally 100% dead. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that over 500 people saw him alive again after he really, really died, right? We believe that based on the eyewitness testimony of literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other people. We, by faith, believe based on the eyewitness testimony. And then the third category of faith is that we believe some things that haven't happened yet. There are some things that haven't happened yet, specifically the second coming of Christ. We believe based on the promise that God delivered on the the first promise. Like, so, Habakkuk, God's telling Habakkuk, my people live by faith. The people of the Old Testament, they lived by faith in the coming Messiah. It was written about, it was prophesied, foretold, that this Messiah would come and be born of a virgin in a little rural hick town like, like Bethlehem. and I mean, everything about the birth, it happened just as it was foretold. God's people lived by faith in that first advent, that first coming, that first arrival. You and I live by faith in the second coming. It's an event that hasn't happened yet, but we believe it by faith based on, based on the promise. God responds to Habakkuk saying, again, my people live by faith. And here's what I want to say about faith just so we're all clear. God's response, God's answer is faith. Faith is the answer, but it's not the solution. That may, that may sound a little bit odd. Let me, let me unpack and let me explain kind of what I'm, what I'm talking about. A lot of people want to make faith the solution to all their problems. If I just have a, a big enough, a deep enough, a better faith, if I'm just better at this whole faith thing, then, man, my problems won't be as big, my suffering won't be as great. All the bad things that are going on in my life would just be better if I could just be better at faith. If They, they think that faith is the solution. And can I just tell you, like, faith is not a way to manipulate God and get God to do what you want Him to do. That's not what faith is. Faith doesn't like, help you overcome your problems or get over your problems or make your problems go away. Faith is the answer, but it's not the solution. Faith is not a way to make those things go away. Faith is a way for you and I to live with hope in the midst of those things, right? Another way to say it might be this. Faith does not make everything okay, but faith is a way for you to be okay even when everything is not, right? Faith doesn't make everything magically go okay. Faith is a way for you and I to be okay in the midst of a world that is broken and fallen where bad things happen all the time. And the problem, the danger with thinking that faith is some kind of a solution to all my problems is what happens when you try really hard to muster up all the faith you possibly can and then things in your life, circumstances in your life still don't go your way, then what usually happens is you're mad at God. A lot of people walk away from or turn away from their faith when it didn't magically work for them. But that's not the promise of faith. Faith's not about a solution. It's not about you getting over your problems. It's about us living with hope in the midst of the problem. So he tells Habakkuk, listen, Habakkuk, I know things don't look good, and you're right, judgment is coming, but listen, you need to, my people live by faith. My people live by faith. And so the question that we concern ourselves with today is, what do we do with our frustration and our anger? Last week, Austin talked about questions and doubt and skepticism. What do we do with our questions and our doubts and our skepticism? This, this morning, I want to just briefly talk about, man, what do we do with our frustration and our anger? Because again, those are real emotions in fact, sometimes in the midst of injustice, in the midst of things going on in our lives, they are the only appropriate responses. And so what do we do with it? Well, Habakkuk sort of gives us this roadmap. The first thing that we see that Habakkuk does, and I think you and I need to do, is we need to bring it to the Lord. We need to bring it to the Lord and, and tell him the truth about it. That's what Habakkuk does. I love the honesty and the realness of Habakkuk, right? There is no kind of pretension there. It's the same thing you get in some of the psalms. You read some of the psalms, and the psalmist is like, God, where are you? <laughs> like, what are you doing? How long are you going to wait? I love just the, the realness, because let's be honest, who hasn't been there, right? Who hasn't been there and just been frustrated? And This is Habakkuk. Everything in his world around him has fallen apart, and he doesn't know what to do, and so he just takes it to the Lord. He doesn't gossip about it. He doesn't go and have a business meeting and figure out who else is on the same page as him and, man, who, who else can I get on my side before I go to God with it? And no, he just goes straight to God. He goes straight to God. He brings it to the Lord and he's, he just tells the truth about it. Listen, I would say it this way. When, when life is the most frustrating, that's when you need the most faith. When life is the most frustrating, that's when you need the most faith, isn't it? Like, when, when life is, is fine you don't have to muster up a lot of faith. Like, things are pretty good, but when life is really frustrating and you're really angry, then that's when, you need, that's when you need the most faith. So the first thing that he does is he brings it to the Lord. The second thing that we see is that he has to wait on the Lord. Look at verse 3. He says, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. Does anybody in here struggle with Patience? Again, good, it's not just me, right? Patience is hard. Patience is hard. Patience is not something that anyone is born with. And you know that if you have kids, right? Nobody's just born with unbelievable patience, right? Part of our flesh, part of our human nature is the opposite. It's impatience. We want what we want and we want it now, right? That's what Habakkuk, I'm sure Habakkuk, would have loved to bring this to God and then have God instantly go, you know what, Habakkuk, I've been thinking, you're right, you're right. I tell you what, um, forget forget all this. I'm not going to you bring some really good stuff to the table that I hadn't thought of. So I'm just going to you know Habakkuk we're going to forget forget everything that I said. Here like Habakkuk would have loved that response. But God tells him, "No, you got to wait. You got to be a little bit you got to be patient. A lot of being a person of faith is about learning to wait on the Lord, right? I, we talked about this in the Romans series. In the Roman series, when we talked about when you are saved, one of the things that happens when you place your faith in Jesus is you begin to um, to start to live life by the Spirit. You're given this gift of the Holy Spirit, and you begin to live life by the Spirit, which means there's some new attitudes and new behaviors and new character that takes place inside of you. Galatians five talks about the fruit of the Spirit, right? And that is that if you have the Holy Spirit of God, there are certain things that ought to be the fruit of your life. There are certain things that ought to be produced in you as you learn to walk with the Spirit. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, right? That's the next one. Patience. So it's this thing that we learn how to do as we walk in step with the Holy Spirit. It's not this natural thing that occurs in our life. It's some, patience is something we learn as we walk with Jesus. It's part of our sanctification becoming more and more like Christ. And so, you might say it this way, that that faith means trusting what God says while waiting to see what God does, right? Faith is trusting what God says, what God has revealed, while waiting then to see what God does, how God actually responds and how it all unfolds. He's telling Habakkuk, Habakkuk, here's what's gonna happen now. You're gonna have to wait for it. You're gonna have to wait. Trust what I say and wait and watch what I do. First thing he does is he brings it to the Lord, he tells the Lord the truth about it. The second thing is he's told he has to wait. And a lot of our faith in Christ is going to be about waiting on the Lord to act. And the final thing that he does, and this is, again, the big idea of Habakkuk is in verse 4. He starts out by talking about the character of the Chaldeans or the ungodly. Behold, his soul is puffed up. There's a lot of pride. It's not upright within him. But then he says this line, but the righteous shall live by faith. And again, I said, this is kind of the heart of the whole message of the book of Habakkuk. This is the, again, the big E on the i chart, right? Is about living by faith. We know this because this particular verse, the end of verse four, really the whole verse four, it's quoted three times in the New Testament. This verse out of Habakkuk is quoted three different times in the New Testament. In Romans, in Galatians, and then the writer of Hebrews. And several times when it's mentioned, it's, uh, Paul talks about it. He uses this verse and he quotes this verse when he talks about how our faith, how our relationship with the Lord begins. Your relationship with the Lord begins by placing your faith, by this act of faith. You believe in what Christ has done for you, that he died on the cross for your sin in your place. You, you place your faith, this act of faith begins your relationship with God. But then the writer of Hebrews uses the same verse to talk about sanctification, how we live, that faith is a part of our lives. In other words, that faith is not just this one-time act where we place our faith in Jesus, it sort of gets us in, and then that's it. No, this same verse is quoted to say not only is it justification, is it the act, but it's also an ongoing event. It's a continual thing that happens in the life of the believer. We live by faith. Jim Cimbala, who wrote a book called Fresh Faith, he says that faith is as essential to everyday living as it is to initial salvation. Faith for the Christian is essential. It's just as essential to everyday living and everyday life as it is for our initial salvation. So faith begins our relationship with God. Faith sustains our relationship with God. And then finally, faith is what guards our relationship with God. When we have questions and doubts and skepticism, when we have anger and frustration, when we are When we are like like exhausted and tired, Austin's going to talk about that next week. Man, all of these things, they can kind of rock or shake our faith sometimes, but faith is what guards and protects us in those seasons and in those moments. I said it earlier that God's people, this is what he's saying, that God's people are people that are marked by faith. And in the Old Testament, it was the faith in the coming Messiah. We await the, the second coming. I would also remind you in the New Testament, in all the Gospels, in all four Gospels, Never, not one time was Jesus ever impressed with anyone's credentials, anyone's education, even anyone's righteousness. Jesus was never impressed with any of that stuff, ever. But over and over and over again in the Gospels, it says that Jesus was amazed at people's faith. You ever notice that? What really seemed to get his attention, what really seems to get the attention of God is faith. It's not about all the other stuff we accumulate. It's not about all the other stuff we, we get the credentials. Jesus was never impressed with that stuff. He was always impressed with faith. And I read a he- Hebrews 11.1 one earlier that gives us the definition. A few verses later in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, it says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God without faith. We have got to be people that are marked by faith. And when frustration comes and anger comes, man, our appropriate response... It's more faith and more faith and more faith, a deeper, a growing faith. And I don't know, again, where some of you are this morning. I don't know what it is that angers you, and I don't know what it is that frustrates you, but if we're honest, I think we've all got something. Maybe several things. A situation, a circumstance, a person, whatever it may be, that thing that just angers and frustrates us to no end. And I think God would respond to us in the anger and the frustration the same way he responded to Habakkuk that it's not just something you get over. It's something you learn to live with hope in the midst of. I heard this quote this week, that as a follower of Jesus, faith is the bridge between where you are and where you will be one day. Faith is that bridge between where we are right now in the midst of our frustration, in the midst of our anger, and where God is taking us, and what, based on the promise, where we'll be one day. That's what faith is all about. And so maybe... Maybe the question that should most concern us is not how do we get over our frustration and anger, but as Christians, maybe what we should really ask is how can I grow a deeper faith in the midst of it all? Let's pray together this morning. Father, we pray today that you would help us to be people that are marked by and known by our faith. Because, God, as we read your word, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, all throughout Scripture, that seems to be what you want from your people is faith. God, faith doesn't mean that we don't have questions. Faith doesn't mean that we don't have some doubts. Faith doesn't mean that we're not angry and that we're not frustrated at times. Faith doesn't make everything okay, but, God, it is a way in which we can be okay even when everything is not. So, God, I pray that we would be people that are marked by our faith and our deep abiding trust in you and your promises. Even though we don't see, God, that we would be faithful while we wait. We pray that you would give us patience. That is a difficult thing to ask for. It's a difficult reality, but God, pray that you would give us patience as your people. And then God, in the meantime, that we would continue to do what you've called us to do, and that is to help usher in the kingdom, the culture of the kingdom of God in this world. We pray for these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.